Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 34, and another good week, of course, in sports this past week. Uh, March Madness has come down to the Final Four on both the men's and the women's side, and we'll get into that. Uh, Major League Baseball, opening day this past week. Season's officially started there. And, of course, we have other news uh, from around uh, the various sports. So we'll go ahead and dive right in. And, of course, like we usually do, the PGA Tour is going to start us off. And this past weekend's tournament was the World Golf Championships Dell Technology Match Play. Uh, And that was held at the Austin Country Club in Austin, Texas. It was a par 72. Distance was 7,062 yards. And this event is really like any other throughout the year. Um, it's it's match play, so you have a lot of one-on-one, uh, basically head-to-head competition, uh, more so than a standard tournament. And this event actually began on uh, Wednesday of this past week instead of the usual Thursday. So it was a Wednesday through Sunday event instead of uh, Thursday through Sunday. So there are a lot of guys that Played a lot of golf, a lot more holes than you normally would during a standard tournament. And then, of course, some guys uh, that didn't make it out of the first few head-to-head matchups, of course, didn't get to play a whole lot of golf. So uh, in total, there were 64 golfers in the field, and they were ranked 1-64 to based on their spot in the official World Golf Rankings. Well, they were split up. Those 64 were split up into groups of four. So you had four uh 16 groups of four, basically. And the top players, the top 16 players in the rankings were the top players in each group. And then the remaining golfers in each of the 16 groups were picked randomly. So your first three rounds, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, uh, were all round robin. So every golfer in every group plays the other golfer once, um, if that makes sense. So each Each golfer in the group goes head-to-head against each other for a total of three rounds, and the golfer with the highest point total at the end of the round robin advances to the round of 16, which is a single elimination tournament. And basically, you got two points for a win, uh, one point for a draw, and of course, zero for a loss. Now, after the round of 16, it, it got narrowed down to eight, then four, and then two, play in the final round on Sunday afternoon. And the groups were pretty interesting. I'm not going to list all the groups of of 64 golfers, but uh, some big-name players did not make it out of their own group. A very surprising list here. Justin Thomas, Bryson DeChambeau, Colin Morikawa, Rory McIlroy, Xander Shoffley, 
Patrick Reed, Dustin Johnson. Uh, none of them made it to the round of 16. And in fact, if you had, um, you had, you could make a bracket online, similarly to what you would do for college basketball. Uh, since we're in that season, everybody usually fills out a bracket for that. This WGC uh, Dell Technologies match play, you actually had brackets online you could fill out. Well, uh, on the PGA Tours website, 91.7% of the brackets turned in. I don't have the exact number of uh, total number of brackets submitted, but I'm sure it was quite a few. Uh, almost 92% had Dustin Johnson moving on, and he did not. That was Robert McIntyre and his group uh, that moved on. McIntyre actually had uh, only 1.6% of the brackets entered uh, had him moving on in that group. Uh, and another group, uh, Justin Thomas, I told you he failed to make the round of 16. 76.6% of the brackets submitted had him moving on to the round of 16. And then Matt Kuchar, only 1.5% of the brackets had him moving on from his group, and all he did was go 3-0 and uh, in round-robin play and move on. And we'll be more on Matt Kuchar here in just a minute. But, yeah, pretty neat, uh, neat little event um, and when it was all said and done, the final pairing, final round on Sunday, championship matchup was Billy Horschel versus Scotty Scheffler. And Horschel won 2-1. and one. And the third place matchup was Matt Kuchar and Victor Perez. And Kuchar won that matchup as well, 2-1, and one, uh, which means they were up by two. Uh, I don't, if you know how golf head-to-head match play works, basically the golfers play 18 holes, and, um, you know, you, you win a hole when your score is lower than your opponent. So if you birdie and the other other player pars, then you would win the hole. If you both par, you have the hole. And, of course, if you bogey and the other person pars or birdies, then you would lose the hole. So that's how the holes are scored. So if you win two and one, you basically won. You were up by more than uh, – you were up two holes with only one left to play. So they didn't even on both of those they didn't even play 18 holes. They only played 17. But um <clears throat> Scotty Scheffler had beaten Matt Kuchar uh and Billy Horschel had beaten Victor Perez to advance to the final matchup. So that third place matchup was Scheffler and Perez and um man that matchup the the semifinal between Scotty Scheffler and Matt Kuchar that came down to 18. Um, it was Scheffler ended up birdieing 18 uh, to to win. They were tied going into 18, and Scheffler birdied and Kuchar parred. So uh, that was a pretty intense matchup. There were a lot of good matchups, actually. That was, it was pretty neat to watch. I, I think that event is obviously the most unique throughout the year just because of the format. But my picks to click, let's check those out. Uh, of course, this past week they were a little different. Uh, it's not your typical tournament, so uh, I just basically gave you three guys that I thought uh, had a chance to win the match play, like you know, uh, based on previous experience or whatever. And the first one I gave you was Abraham Answer, and I, I gave you him because uh, he had gone three and one in the Ryder Cup uh, last year, and he's. Hasn't finished any worse than 18th in his last four WGC events. So uh, how'd he do? Well, in round-robin play, he beat Brent Wies, uh, Bern Wiesberger. 
He beat Kevin Streelman, and then he lost to Victor Hovland. So he did not advance to the round of 16. Cameron Smith, uh, I picked him because he, in his last three starts, uh, the Genesis, the WGC at the concession, and the players, all big tournaments, he had finished no worse than 17th. And he actually was a quarter finalist in this event back in 2018. Uh, and he started out round robin. He beat Lanto Griffin, and then he lost to Ian Poulter, and then halved with Rory McIlroy. So he went 1-1-1, one, one, and one, and he did not advance out of his group. Paul Casey was the third pick-to-click I gave you. He was the two-time runner-up here. He actually was finished second in 2009 and 2010 here, and in six starts this year uh, on tour, he has a win, which came in Dubai on the European tour. And then he's got two, he had two top fives, top eight, top 10, and top 12. So he's been playing really good golf here lately. And uh, I like for him to at least uh, compete in the round of 16. Well, he started out round robin play, losing to Mackenzie Hughes. Uh, but he then beat Taylor Gooch and then halved with Webb Simpson. So. He, again, went 1-1-1, one, one, and one, which was not enough to move on from that group. So none of my picks to click, uh, they each won at least one of their round-robin um, matches, uh, but none of them moved on to the round of 16. So because um, you, you basically go from 64 down to 16. So that is quite the elimination uh, none of my picks did that, but um, yeah, it was still, again, just a great tournament to watch. Very cool to see. But this weekend's tournament, they stay in Texas. They just move over to San Antonio, and that's the Valero Texas Open. It's held at TPC San Antonio, which uh, is a par 72 and distance is 7,494 yards, so about 400 yards longer than TPC or uh, Austin Country Club, rather. And this is a decent field, uh, several big-name players in the field. Uh, you know, it's the week after a WGC event, so a lot of your top players in the world uh, choose to rest, uh, But especially with the Masters coming up. But uh, we do have some big-name players. Um, this event was not played last year because it happened uh, right after the pandemic started. Of course, the pandemic started uh, halfway through March last year, so... This tournament being in April did not happen. So the last time it was played was 2019, and your champion then was Corey Connors. And he is in the field here again this year. But my picks to click for the uh, Valero Texas Open. Let's start off with Jordan Spieth. He's ranked number 53 in the world. His ranking has been coming back up uh, steadily here over the last couple months due to this surge that he's on. He's been playing really good golf uh, this this season so far, and he's really got his game back. And Spieth looks like he, uh, while his ranking doesn't indicate that uh, at the moment, he is certainly looking the part of the top player in the world that he once was. Um, he's definitely competing week in and week out. Um, of course, Jordan Spieth, he's from Texas. right? He was born and raised in Dallas. He went to the University of Texas, so he loves playing here in Texas. He always seems to do well at the Texas courses, 
And here at the Valero Texas Open in his career, he's made four cuts in five starts. And he was the second place finisher back in 2015. So I, I like for him to certainly finish inside the top 25. And I think he's got a pretty legitimate chance to win this week. My second pick to click is Matt Kuchar. Uh, he's ranked number 43 in the world. I told you how he did last week. He went 3-0 in round-robin play and ended up uh, losing in the semifinals to uh, play in the third-place game, and he ended up winning the third-place match. So coming off a third-place finish last week in the WGC, he historically has been an absolute monster at TPC San Antonio, where he's 8-for-8 in cuts made with four top 15 finishes in those eight starts. So he loves playing here. He's coming off a great week. I don't see any reason why Kuchar would not be inside that top 25. But my final pick to click this week for the Valero Texas Open is Tony Finau, number 13 in the world. He's cooled off a bit since his hot start a couple months ago where he just seemed to be in the top 10 every week. Uh, But he finished tied for third here at TPC San Antonio back in 2017, and he's seventh on tour in strokes gained tee to green, uh, and that would be helpful here this week at TPC San Antonio. So uh, those are my picks to click, and uh, we'll see how they do this week. Hopefully I can uh, kind of redeem myself after uh, you know last week's WGC not uh, really getting any of those guys that advanced. But we'll move over to college basketball and March Madness. And last week, uh, we talked about how uh, we made it to the Sweet 16, and I kind of ran through a little few predictions there uh, on the Sweet 16, but let's check out how the Sweet 16 went down. Well, in the West region, top seed Gonzaga played the fifth seed Creighton, and they just absolutely steamrolled them. It wasn't even close, 83-65. The other matchup out West was probably one of the better uh, matchups on paper as far as it being a good game. Number six, USC. Number seven, Oregon. Pac-12 matchup there. And again, just a complete demolition by USC. 82-68 was the final there. Which set up a Gonzaga-USC Elite Eight matchup, which we'll get into here in a second. Uh, in the East region, Michigan, top-seeded Michigan, played number four-seed Florida State. Michigan, again, just wasn't a close game at all. They won 76-58. Number two-seed Alabama played number 11-seed UCLA. And this game actually went into overtime. And in overtime, UCLA just came out swinging and ended up moving on, winning by 10 points, 88-78, the final there which set up a Michigan-UCLA Elite Eight matchup there in the East, and we'll get into that again in just a second. Um, The South region, the Baylor Bears, top-seeded Baylor Bears, uh, handled up on their business uh, against Villanova. 62-51. 62-51. Again, not really a close game. None of these games were really that that close. Uh, and the other game was number three, Arkansas, versus number 15, Oral Roberts. Now, that game was very close. Uh, 72-70 to was the final. Arkansas won, 
But uh, Max Acemas from Oral Roberts had a wide-open three, uh, look at a three, as the buzzer went off, and he hit the front rim. So that uh, was about maybe an inch and a half away from sending Oral Roberts uh, to the Elite Eight. Uh, but uh, that did not happen. So uh, Arkansas moves on, uh, and they played Baylor. And that matchup was, uh, again, just not... Not really close. Uh, Baylor won 81-72. to Now, in the Midwest region, the tops, oh, we, we, the team that took out the top seed, the Loyola Chicago, uh, they beat, had beaten Illinois. They played Oregon State, and they just kind of ran out of gas. Uh, they, they couldn't hit any shots. They they went uh, an abysmal one for like 14, I think it was, from the three at one point. They were one for 14 from three. I think they hit one late, but they were they just could not score. The halftime score in this game was very low. Both teams were under uh, 30 points at half. Uh, I think both teams were actually under 25 points at half. But, yeah, it was not... Not a great, uh, great looking game. Oregon State ended up winning sixty five, fifty eight. There, uh, number eleven seed Syracuse, number two seed Houston. Uh, Houston just dominated this one, sixty two forty six. Again, there really was only one close game in that sweet round of round of sixteen. So sweet sixteen. So that sets up your elite eight matchup: Oregon State versus Houston, and Houston just they came out. They are scrappy. Uh, most people probably haven't watched Houston throughout the year, uh, being that they're not in a Power 5 conference. And they just came out and beat Oregon State 67-61 in the Midwest region. So that sets up your your final four matchup. <clears throat> well, let me back up. I told you I was going to. Gonzaga played USC in the West, right? Gonzaga won 85-66, just completely obliterated them to move on to the final four in the east region uh the michigan wolverines uh had a close game against ucla uh both this was another one of those ugly games uh but were were team they just couldn't score michigan uh, they missed their last eight shots of the game uh, and ended up losing to ucla 51 49 very low scoring game uh, but michigan's got to be disappointed uh, they literally missed their last eight shots of the game and then lost by two. So UCLA advances to the final four, and uh, we already went over the other game. So your final four, as it sits now on the men's side of the bracket, uh, the Gonzaga Bulldogs play the UCLA Bruins here this weekend, and the Baylor Bears play the Houston Cougars uh, on the other side. And the winner of those two will advance to the national title game. Now, my predictions for this. Uh, Gonzaga's, I picked them, when I filled out my bracket originally, uh, I picked Gonzaga to win. Gonzaga's the best team. They've looked like the best team. They are the best team. They're going to smoke UCLA by probably 15 points. That's my, that's my bet on that. Uh, UCLA's luck is running out. Uh, Baylor and Houston. This game is very interesting. Uh, I think Houston can win, but I don't think they will. Uh, I think Baylor is just too good. Um, that that trio they have, 
Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and Macy Oteague. I mean, each one of those guys is good in, in his own way, and they just find a way to get it done. Uh, I do not think that Houston will will win. Like I said, I would not be surprised if they do, but I don't think they will. I think it's going to be Gonzaga versus Baylor. And again, like I said, I think Gonzaga is going to win and cut the nets down for the first time in their school history. Now, regarding that final four that I just mentioned, um, there were on ESPN, um, of course, you could submit your brackets on any site, ESPN, CBS, you know, um, Yahoo, whatever you choose. Uh, but just on ESPN submitted brackets for the men's, there were 14.7 million brackets submitted for the men's tournament challenge. And out of those 14.7 million, only 2,873 got picked the final four correctly, which is 0.0002% uh, of the brackets correctly predicted the men's final four, which is, that is very uh, surprising. Uh, of course, you know, I I didn't get the entire final four right. Uh, I did pick, of course, Gonzaga and Baylor to be in the final four originally, but I did not pick UCLA or Houston. So I, I got two out of the four in my original uh, predictions. But uh, this is going to be a very good weekend Um Final four games are this weekend, and the national championship game uh, is next week. So we'll look forward to that. Uh, but real quickly, on the women's side, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the women's final four. Uh, you have three number one seeds uh, on the women's side in the final four. On one side, you have Stanford and South Carolina playing each other. And on the other side, you have UConn and Arizona playing each other. Arizona is the is the number three seed. is the only non-one seed in the final four on the women's side. As far as predictions go for this, uh, I, I told you in my original March Madness episode a couple weeks ago that I thought UConn was going to win this entire thing. I still feel that way. I believe they will beat Arizona. Uh, I think South Carolina is going to beat Stanford. And then in the championship game, I think UConn is going to beat South Carolina. So um, now more on UConn, just to kind of touch up here. Uh, the AP, Associated Press, they named both their men's and women's players of the year in college basketball. Um, and on the women's side is UConn freshman Paige Beckers. She is the first ever freshman to win the AP Women's Basketball Player of the Year award. And she is just an absolute stud, um, just phenomenal player. Uh, Diana Taurasi, who, of course, is a legend at UConn and has been played in the WNBA for years, she called Paige Beckers uh, the best female player in basketball. So uh, she has an endorsement from one of the game's best ever. And if you haven't seen her, uh, tune in to UConn's Final Four game because she really is uh, worth the price of admission for sure. Now, on the men's side, your AP Player of the Year uh, is Iowa's Luca Garza. Okay, he, um, of course, Iowa lost in the round of 32 to Oregon, so their their tournament got cut short. But Garza has just been a monster all year. He averaged close to 30 points a game. Um, he's 6'11", 265 pounds. I think he's, he's just a dominant force 
And if you watched any of Iowa's games this past season, uh, you just you saw the impact that he makes with his physical presence down low. So well-deserved for AP Player of the Year for both of those kids. Uh, good to see them. They'll both be high draft picks uh, in their respective drafts when they so choose to uh, enter the draft. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association and give you an NBA standings update real quick. We are about 50 or so games into the regular season on the NBA side out of the 72. So we are we are getting close to um, the end of the season. And the trade deadline passed last week. We talked about some of the trades that happened there, but... On the Eastern Conference side, the top seed at the moment, the Brooklyn Nets. They're 34-15. and 15. They uh, continue to win. They're, they won eight out of their last ten and uh, four in a row. They still don't have Kevin Durant back. I would assume that at this point he's probably just resting until the playoffs. Uh, but James Harden continues his, his MVP campaign. And the Brooklyn Nets, uh, they're in sole possession of first place for uh you know multiple games into the season for the first time since April of 2003. So the Nets haven't been atop the Eastern Conference uh in about 18 years. And the last time they did that, Jason Kidd was your uh star player on the Nets, who at that time were the New Jersey Nets and Richard Jefferson also played for the Nets at that time, but they look a little different now. Uh, with that dominant trio, they're rolling out every night. But they are still a very dangerous team. And again, my prediction to win the NBA title. Uh, second place in the East, Philadelphia 76ers. They're 33-15. and 15. They've won seven out of their last ten. Milwaukee Bucks have also won seven out of their last ten. They're 30-17. and 17. Charlotte Hornets. They're 24-23, and 23, sitting fourth in the East. They had a devastating injury. LaMelo Ball uh, got hurt, and he's out for the rest of the year. So that's a huge blow to the Hornets there. Uh, Miami Heat, 25-24. and 24. Uh, They've won three in a row. I told you last week when they made that trade to acquire Victor Oladipo, watch them can just catapult up the standings here in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they've done nothing but win since acquiring Oladipo. Three in a row, sitting fifth in the East, and uh, there's there's still about six games behind Milwaukee uh, and that crew up top, but um, uh, they'll be catching Charlotte here shortly. Number six seed in the East, the New York Knicks. They're twenty four and twenty four. They are hanging around. Um, they're they're as they're about as five hundred as you can as you can ask. They they're they're five and five in their last ten. 24 and 24 on the year. They pretty much look like a 500 team. Um, number seven seed, Atlanta Hawks. They are also 24 and 24, uh, although they have won six out of their last 10. Now, the eighth seed currently in the East, the Boston Celtics, 23 and 25. Indiana Pacers, 21 and 25. Chicago Bulls, 19 and 27. They've lost five games in a row, the Bulls have. Toronto Raptors, 18 and 30. They've only won once in their last 10. They are not doing well. The Washington Wizards, 17 and 30. Orlando Magic just had a fire sale at the trade deadline. 
They're 17 and 31. They, believe it or not, have won two games in a row and have four out of their last 10. So they've actually won a couple since dropping all of their good players. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're also 17 and 31, but they've lost four in a row. And then the Detroit Pistons still holding up the rear in the East at 14 and 34. Now, in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz are still up top at 36 and 11. They've won seven games in a row. So they they kind of cooled off just a tad, but they had picked it right back up. Uh, Phoenix Suns, 33 and 14. They've won four in a row, eight out of their last 10. They're looking to be every bit as legit as their record would indicate. Now, the third seed, the LA Clippers, 32 and 18. They've lost two in a row. Uh, the fourth seed in the West, Los Angeles Lakers, 30 and 18. They are five and five in their last 10. Still, LeBron's still going to be out for a while. AD, still not back yet. They're, they're just kind of trying to struggle to stay afloat. I think they have enough talent to do that. They're not going to fall out of a playoff spot, but I would pay attention to their seeding because if LeBron takes a while to get back, the Lakers could slip down to, you know, the six or seven spot potentially, uh, which would not be pleasant for any team that finishes uh, higher that would have to face them in the first round. The fifth seed in the West, the Denver Nuggets, they uh, made a move at the deadline. They're 30 and 18. They've won four in a row, eight out of their last 10. They're climbing back up. Portland Trailblazers, they're the sixth seed, 29 and 18. They've also won four in a row. The Dallas Mavericks are the seventh seed at 25 and 21. Uh, they're won six out of their last 10. San Antonio Spurs are clinging to that eighth spot still, 24 and 22. Memphis Grizzlies, 22 and 23. Golden State Warriors, 23 and 25. The Sacramento Kings, 22 and 26. New Orleans Pelicans, 21 and 26. Oklahoma City Thunder, 20 and 27. The Houston Rockets, fresh off of losing 20 games in a row. They uh, ended up winning a game uh, and then losing a couple more after that uh, and then winning. They they have two wins in their last 10 games, but they're, they're still 13 and 34, the Rockets are, which is still better than the Minnesota Timberwolves at 12 and 36. Uh, I, that's just that team. They're young. Obviously, they're in rebuild mode, but it is tough to watch if you're a Timberwolves fan now. But we'll head over to the NHL. We'll give you a standings update over there. Um, we're not quite as far along uh, in the NHL season. We've only played about 36 to 38 games roughly in the NHL season. Some teams have played a little less due to COVID protocols, but we're around there. NHL's a 56-game season, so both both leagues have roughly... 20 to 25 games left. Um, in the Discover Central division, Tampa Bay Lightning, 25-9-2. The Florida Panthers, 24-9-4. And, and I actually went to the Dallas Stars game this past weekend. First game I've been to in person since the pandemic. And Florida Panthers came to town and ended up beating us. Uh, 4-1, to one, but that was the game in which Aaron Ekblad, the star defenseman for the Panthers, uh, I think he's third in goals by defenseman in the league right now, 
definitely a, a key piece of that Panthers team. He ended up breaking his leg in that game and had to be stretchered off. So not good news for the Panthers there, but they're still sitting pretty with that record. Third in the Central is the Carolina Hurricanes, 24-8-3. Uh, the Nashville Predators, 19-18-1. Chicago Blackhawks, 17-16-5. Columbus Blue Jackets, 14-16-8. And, and those Dallas Stars, 12-12-10. Just a very odd record. Uh, they, are, they have played as about as mediocre as you could play and still have a legitimate chance for the playoffs, but that that is how the Stars are. Um, the Detroit Red Wings, last placed in the Central, 12-21-5. Now in the Scotia North Division, we also, we had, I mentioned last week, we had our first COVID situation in the uh, North Division. They had gone all season without any COVID issues, the only division that could say that, and then Montreal had a couple players placed on the COVID protocol list. Well, uh, this past weekend, Vancouver Canucks had a, a game or two postponed due to some COVID protocols, but uh, it looks like they're getting through those. First place in the North Division, the Toronto Maple Leafs, 23-10-5. They've been playing really well. Uh, uh, Winnipeg Jets is their second, 22-13-2. Edmonton Oilers, 22-14-1. And, and those Montreal Canadiens, 16-8-9. Uh, Calgary Flames 16-18-3, Vancouver Canucks 16-18-3 as well, same record as the Flames, Ottawa Senators 12-21-4. Now, the Mass Mutual East Division, that is heating up big time. Uh, They also have three teams over 50 points, just like the Central Division. In fact, they have three teams tied at 50 points, and that's the Washington Capitals, who are 23-9-4, the New York Islanders, who are 23-10-4. The Pittsburgh Penguins, who are 24-11-2. So they all have 50 points. Uh, Boston is sitting there nine points back of them at 18-10-5. So uh, Boston's kind of trailing back a little bit. Philadelphia, 17-14-4. New York Rangers, 17-15-4. The New Jersey Devils, 13 16 and 5. Now, the Buffalo Sabres, my goodness, they're 7, 23, and 6. And this past week, they lost eight. They lost to the Flyers earlier in the week, which gave them their 18th straight loss. Uh, so the Sabres lost 18 games in a row. But then their very next game, uh, they came out against the Pittsburgh Penguins and ended up winning 6 to 1. So you talk about a a way to snap out of a a losing streak with a 6-1 to win, but 18 games in a row. They are the Houston Rockets of the NHL. Now in the Honda West division, Colorado Avalanche, uh, they finally caught up to the Vegas Golden Knights. They both have 50 points. Colorado is 23-8-4. Vegas is 24-9-2. Minnesota Wild 22-11-2, St. Louis Blues 16-13-6, the Arizona Coyotes 16-15-5, LA Kings 14-14-6, San Jose Sharks 15-16-4, and the Anaheim Ducks 11-20-6. Now the NHL trade deadline is still a couple weeks away, 
So we'll keep you posted on any of the big trades that go down. But it, it's looking like it's going to be quite the photo finish uh, for playoff spots here this year with this new format that they rolled out. So uh, we'll definitely keep you posted on that as we get closer to the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball. And as I alluded to in uh, the opener there, the baseball season has returned. Uh, Opening day was this past week, Thursday, April 1st. And we are going to play a 162-game regular season in baseball, which is phenomenal. Um, That is, again, uh, another sign that we're returning to normalcy, getting a full season. They are the first first of the major pro sports to have a regular full, a full regular season planned of course cuz the NBA and the NHL have slightly shortened seasons this year so baseball is the first league to roll out a full regular season since the pandemic started uh, i guess golf you could say too uh, technically golf's the first but um as far as the the major the four major pro sports now uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred has come out and said that he expects that all the ballparks will be uh, operating at 100% capacity with fans by midsummer, or at least that is his goal. So again, playing a full season and having full fans in the stands at, at, at ballparks across the country, that is ultimately the goal to get us back to normalcy. I think that, that is we are very, very close to that, which and that's great to hear. Now, as opening day came out, the Washington Nationals, they had a game postponed uh, against the New York Mets. Their, their opening day game was postponed due to a positive COVID test on the Nationals side of things. Uh, somewhere in their organization, there was a positive test. Now, you know, I, this, is how, this is how it happened to the Nationals last year. Nationals, uh, Juan Soto had a positive COVID test to start the season uh, last year, and uh, they missed a few games and got a late start. So hopefully that doesn't. Uh, once they do some contact tracing, they'll they'll be able to get started. You know, uh, this weekend sometime, and there's not too long of a delay. But you know, it's still baseball is still going to have to deal with this. Even though they're planning on a 162 game regular season schedule, they're still going to have to deal with positive tests and players uh, being placed in the protocol list and all that kind of stuff. But. <laughs> Uh, it's it's great that we're we're at baseball season. That means we're officially in spring and uh, moving into summer, which is what everybody wants to hear. <clears throat> but as far as the baseball season, I'm just going to give you some very basic predictions for the division winners and a World Series matchup, and we'll see how that ends up turning out uh, several months down the road. In the American League, we'll start off in the American League. American League East. Uh, this is a good, good division. Um, of course, you have the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Orioles, the Red Sox, and the Yankees. Now, the Yankees are always going to be, you know, uh, in contention based on their payroll, the star players they have. Uh, you have to think they're always going to be in contention. Now, they're going to be without Luis Severino, their pitcher, who had Tommy John surgery. Last year, uh, he won't be there this year, but you still have Garrett Cole, obviously, and Stanton and Judge and LeMayhew, and you still have a, a crowded crowded lineup. 
Um, I, I think they'll be in contention, but I do not see them winning uh, the division. Of course, Tampa Bay Rays, they were the American League champs this past year and went to the World Series. And they did trade Blake Snell away, their their star pitcher. So I, I just, I don't think the Rays, I think the Rays have enough to get back into the playoffs, but I do not see them winning this division. The team that I think is going to win the American League East is the Toronto Blue Jays. They have a very good young lineup with Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, uh, Teo Oscar Hernandez, and then they have Hung Jin Ryu, the pitcher. Uh, just a very good team, very solid. They they acquired Marcus Simeon in the offseason. Of course, you got George Springer as well that also signed with the Blue Jays. He's going to start the season on the 10-day uh, injured list, but um, you get Springer back in that lineup and Simeon to kind of rotate through the infield positions, that team is going to be very difficult to beat uh, in a playoff series. Now, the disadvantage for the Blue Jays is they're going to have to bounce around <clears throat> for home venues because they can't quite play in Toronto yet. Uh, but I do think the Blue Jays are going to win the AL East. Now, in the American League Central, you have the Tigers, the Royals, the White Sox, the Twins, and the Indians. And, you know, the Tigers... Um, they're not. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Um, the Twins have done some things. Of course, the Indians still have Shane Bieber, who won the Cy Young. Chicago has some good young players. Um, Yoan Moncada. Of course, they have Tim Anderson. Uh, they they do have some good players there in Chicago. I like the White Sox. I think they're an under the radar team. I believe they just missed the playoffs last year. I think they'll be in contention, uh, but when it's all said and done, I think the uh, Cleveland Indians are going to win that division. I know they got rid of Francisco Lindor, traded him to the Mets, but I just think that uh, when you have uh, an ace like Shane Bieber, who's going to pitch you know, 30-something times throughout the season, uh, I just think that, that that gives you an advantage. They do still have a, a fairly decent lineup. But I would look for the White Sox as well to uh, be in contention for that division. Uh, but that division, to me, is, is completely up for grabs because uh, I can see the Twins also winning it. Uh, they re-signed Nelson Cruz. Uh, they also have some pop in that lineup. So I, I would say between the White Sox, the Twins, and the Indians, uh, those three will be in contention for the division. But uh, I, I see the Indians coming out on top there. The American League West... Uh, there. This is kind of a, another three-horse race. You got the Houston Astros, L.A. Angels, Seattle Mariners, Texas Rangers, Oakland A's. Now, uh, the A's and the Astros, I think, are your top two teams. Uh, you can throw the Angels in maybe as the third. Um, the Texas Rangers are going to be one of the mo- one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball, and I would be shocked if if uh, they won seventy games. It's tough to say because, of course, that's who I root for, and uh, just it's not going to be pretty here uh, in Arlington this year. But I just I don't I, I think the Astros are still going to be your division winners here in the AL West. They still have uh, a very solid lineup: Altuve, Correa, uh, Brantley, you know, uh, Kyle Tucker. I just think 
and they re-signed Lance McCullers to a big deal. I just don't see the Astros not winning the AL West. So that is my pick for that division. Now to the National League. The National League East, I've said for many weeks now talking about baseball that I think that the NL East is going to be the most competitive division in baseball this year. You have Philadelphia Phillies, Washington Nationals, New York Mets, Miami Marlins, and Atlanta Braves. Now, the Braves have been your recent uh, dominant winners here in the NL East. The Miami Marlins snuck into the playoffs this past year due to the expanded playoffs. But then the Washington Nationals, they acquired Josh Bell uh, in the course of their rotation. They still have Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and uh, just... A, a solid lineup, of course, that features Juan Soto and, uh, I mean, just Trey Turner. You know, I mean, they, the, the Nationals are loaded. Now, the Philadelphia Phillies, of course, they still have Bryce Harper. They have Aaron Nolo, the pitcher. Zach Wheeler, again, so they have a decent rotation. Um, but th- I think this division is going to require the winner to have uh, at least, we'll say, 100 games. I, I don't see anybody winning this division with less than 100 games. I think it's going to be very, very competitive. They, I'll, I can make a case. Of course, the New York Mets, they got Francisco Lindor uh, in, in, a, in a trade. So, And then they actually ended up, speaking of Francisco Lindor, they ended up just paying him. Uh, they signed him to a 10-year, $341 million contract extension, which is the third largest contract in Major League Baseball history. So they are super all in on Lindor. Uh, he is one of the best shortstops in the game. But when it's all said and done, I like the Washington Nationals to come out on top in this division. I know the Braves have, have been kind of cleaning it up here the last few years. They still have a good young team. Ronald Acuna, Ozzie Albies, Freddie Freeman. That's a great lineup. But I I like the Nationals just because of the pitching aspect. Um, and then they went out and got Josh Bell, who can hit 30 home runs for you and lock down that first base position that was really their only weakness. So give me the Nationals in the NL East. Now in the NL Central, Milwaukee Brewers, Pittsburgh Pirates, St. Louis Cardinals, Cincinnati Reds, Chicago Cubs. Uh, again, I think this is this is another this this division usually is a slugfest. Um I do like the Brewers. Okay, their lineup is is good. Um uh, but you know, I'm going to go uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals here. They acquired Nolan Arenado, and they still have Jack Flaherty as their pitcher, uh, their ace. And so give me St. Louis Cardinals just because of the Nolan Arenado factor. Uh, now in the NL West, Colorado Rockies, San Diego Padres, Los Angeles Dodgers, San Francisco Giants, and Arizona Diamondbacks. Now this is super interesting because... I love the Padres lineup um, with Fernando Tatis, Eric Hosmer, and then you got you Darvish to uh, be your ace in that rotation. But the Dodgers, uh, you cannot go against the Dodgers. We we talked about um, how they signed Trevor Bauer in the offseason to throw him with Clayton Kershaw and Walker Buehler and Julio Urias. And then, of course, that lineup with Mookie Betts uh, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, you know, they, they are your defending World Series champions uh, for a reason. So I think the Dodgers are going to win the NL West in the regular season. 
but the Padres uh, are going to make it into the playoffs solidly. Now, as far as the playoffs go, I think the American League Championship Series uh, is going to feature the Toronto Blue Jays and the Houston Astros, and I think the Toronto Blue Jays will be your American League champions. The National League side, I think the National League Championship Series is going to feature the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. And I think the Dodgers are going to be your National League champions again. And that would set up a World Series of Los Angeles versus Toronto. And while I do like the Blue Jays, I like the lineup, I like their players, I'm going to have to pick the Dodgers to win the World Series again. Just for the simple fact that with that rotation that they're slinging out there every week, you're not going to beat that team with that lineup and those pitchers four times in seven days when it comes to the playoffs. Because when you get to the playoffs, your rotation shrinks. And they're going to be rolling out uh, Bueller, Kershaw, and Bauer as your three starters. And they could roll with a three-man rotation and probably be successful with that. Throw in Julio Urias as well. Uh, that team's not losing four times in seven games or three times in five games. So nobody's beating the Dodgers in a playoff series. Give me the Dodgers to repeat as your World Series champions. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. And what we do there is some quick hit news from some various sports. And we'll start off in the National Football League. Of course, we're still underway in free agency. Most of the big-name free agents have already signed deals, uh, but this past week, a few big-name players either signed or re-signed. Uh, first one was wide receiver Sammy Watkins, signed a one-year, $6 million deal with the Baltimore Ravens. So the Ravens finally have them a uh, number one pass catcher, I guess. Watkins isn't really the ideal number one, but he's more of a number one than Marquise Brown. Uh, wide receiver Tyler Lockett, he re-signed with the Seattle Seahawks on a four-year, $69.2 million extension that includes $37 million guaranteed. So big money for Tyler Lockett. Uh, he's the second best wide receiver on his team behind DK Metcalf. So it only makes you wonder what Metcalf is going to get here in just a couple years. And then the last uh, notable signing was another extension. This was offensive tackle Colton Miller. Signed a three-year contract extension with the Las Vegas Raiders, and it's worth more than $18 million per season. So he's one of the top-paid offensive tackles in the league, and he is the first, uh, first player from the 2018 draft class to get an extension. But some other NFL news, probably the biggest news out of the NFL this week, is that they are expanding the regular season to 17 games. And the... Regular season has been 16 games since 1978, which is the longest streak in NFL history without a change in the number of games. But the good news in that, uh, there were a lot of players that were pissed off about the one extra regular season game. But the good news in that is that the NFL is reducing the preseason from four games to three games, which probably should have been done long before this, considering that that fourth preseason game is basically a joke and a half anyways. But... Yeah, I like the expanded regular season. I think it, um, it you know, NFL, they have the shortest season out of any of the four, four major pro sports. 
Uh, I get it's a physical game, uh, but, you know, I think we all like to see more NFL football. You know, the players make enough money to play one extra game. So I personally am a fan of it, especially since you're eliminating one preseason game. Go ahead and get those 17 games, and I guess it uh, betters your chance at getting a playoff spot potentially um, because the records are going to be a little more uh, odd-looking. You won't have an even 8 and 8, 500 record like like we've seen in previous years. Uh, But some other NFL news deals with the NFL draft. Uh, Consensus top overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. Of course, the quarterback from Clemson. He is all but uh, being picked as the number one pick at the moment, obviously because the draft hasn't started, but everybody knows he's going first overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, he has declined the invitation to attend the NFL draft in person, instead going to stay home at Clemson University and watch it from there with his friends and family. Um, I respect that. I think all top draft picks probably have always dreamt of the experience of walking across the stage to meet Commissioner Goodell, shaking his hand, getting your hat and your jersey, Uh, but he is choosing to stay home and do that uh, with his family instead, so that is uh, pretty commendable on on his part. I personally would do it in, you know, I would go to the draft in person with limited family, but uh, that is me. Now, the final piece of NFL news, how can you not, we can't not go another episode without talking about Deshaun Watson. We didn't talk about him last week with all those complaints that have gotten filed. But this story has gotten out of control. There's been now over 20 civil complaints filed against Deshaun Watson for sexual assault, uh, listing Watson as uh, the suspect in those sexual assaults. And they're all civil. There's not been a criminal complaint filed until uh, this week where now Houston PD has began an investigation into these sexual assaults. Um, you get that many complaints, civil or criminal, uh, the police department has to step in um, just because of the nature of the allegations. This is not good for Deshaun Watson. Um, I still would like to think that he is not guilty and that this is a money grab uh, just based on the interviews that I've seen with Watson and what I've heard and read about what kind of person he is, uh, we'll see. I mean, he uh, if, if any of these or some of these are true, he's going to be in some hot water, and he might not have to worry about sitting out this season for Houston uh, because he might be suspended. So this has gotten very interesting, very weird. <clears throat> so it's definitely something to keep an eye on, uh, certainly an impact in the NFL. He's, he led the league in passing this past year, and he's obviously one of your top five quarterbacks in the league, both in real life and in fantasy football as well. So uh, definitely pay attention to that. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association real quick. A couple of guys that had buyouts with their respective team, both big men, uh, forward LaMarcus Aldridge had a buyout with the San Antonio Spurs. He has signed with the Brooklyn Nets, which just gives them another all-star caliber player and mind you they just signed Blake Griffin a couple of weeks ago after his buyout with the Detroit Pistons so you add uh, now again LaMarcus Aldridge is in the same boat that Blake Griffin is past his prime but still a very good player very useful uh, in a certain role 
So you add LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin to Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and the rest of that team. And again, they're just not losing. Uh, that Brooklyn is not losing uh, uh, in the playoffs, that is. They're, they're going to win the NBA title, assuming that Kevin Durant can come back healthy. But even if he doesn't, I think they still have enough firepower to get it done. Now, from the best team in the East over to one of the best teams in the West, the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, they have signed center Andre Drummond. Uh, Drummond was, uh, I think he was released by Cleveland Cavaliers, and he cleared waivers, and he signed with the Lakers. Now, that gives the Lakers a legitimate center, uh, a true big man that can handle that uh, five spot in the lineup grab them rebounds for Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Now, Davis is pretty good at getting rebounds himself, and I guess you could say LeBron is too. But Drummond, uh, he's it seems as though he gets 15 to 20 rebounds a game. So if he can keep getting the ball, dishing it off to uh, LeBron or AD whenever they get back healthy, that is going to be very helpful for the Lakers. And then again, that just is more depth for that team uh, heading into the playoffs, gives them a little better lineup than they already have. The final piece of NBA news deals with the NBA draft. Well, the NBA announced this week that the NBA draft is going to be held on July 29th this summer, while the draft lottery will be one week prior on July 22nd. Typically, the NBA's draft lottery is in mid-May, and the draft itself is in late June. Uh, but of course, with this year, the later start and the shortened season... They had to push the draft stuff back uh, a little bit, make sure that the playoffs are over with before the draft happens. Uh, Not surprising. They'll still get it in with plenty of time before next season because I would assume next season will start on time. But we'll flip it back over to Major League Baseball. And the MLB just announced uh, on Friday this week that they're officially moving the 2021 all-star game out of Atlanta, Georgia. And the game was supposed to be played at Truist Field in Atlanta, home of the Braves, uh, this summer, but was changed due to a Georgia voting law that came out. Now, this MLB's announcement comes eight days after Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed a Republican sponsored overhaul of the state elections, basically, that includes new restrictions on voting by mail, and it basically has greater legislative control over how their elections are run. And Commissioner Rob Manfred uh, said that he made the decisions after dis- you know various discussions with the MLB Players Association, uh, Players Alliance, etc. And Commissioner Manfred said, quote, I have decided that the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport is by relocating this year's All-Star Game and MLB Draft. Uh, Rob Manfred continued to say that Major League Baseball fundamentally supports voting rights for all Americans and opposes restrictions to the ballot box. Fair access to voting continues to have our game's unwavering support. Close quote. So basically... I think this is the MLB's way to protest a voting law that was put into effect in Georgia. Now, 
I mean, I guess that makes a statement, but I, I don't, I don't know why we're getting political in Major League Baseball when it's just one state that came up with this law. I mean, I get that was the host of the All Star Game and draft MLB draft was also supposed to be in Atlanta as well, so that's getting moved. But I, yeah, I, I don't get why we're intertwining politics into a law that just deals with voting. Uh, that just, to me, that's creating unnecessary um, brushback, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that that's a smart decision by the MLB. Um, but, you know, obviously, Commissioner Manfred said he's had discussions with multiple uh, institutions and associations. So, I mean, I guess if that was the decision, then that was the decision. But I, I think that that is probably a mistake by Major League Baseball. Uh, you have teams in plenty of different states throughout this country. Uh, I don't know why you're choosing to highlight one in particular uh, and make a scene out of it. But the, I guess for the MLB, the good news for them is that they also announced that they're having more relaxed to COVID protocols and restrictions this season, uh, which is basically creating a path for players and staff to gather indoors, uh, eat at, with other people, that is, uh, eat at restaurants and bring family members on the road to their road games and basically restore their normal life. So MLB has strongly encouraged players and staff to get their vaccines and these new protocols of allowing players to do those things would only apply to fully vaccinated uh, individuals whose teams were uh, 85% vaccinated or more basically and fully vaccinated of course is two weeks after your second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or two weeks after your Johnson & Johnson vaccine dose. So MLB is uh, basically rewarding players who have chosen to get the vaccine. And I spoke, uh, I believe it was either last episode or the episode before last on my views of the vaccine. I've got one. I've been working throughout this entire pandemic. I highly suggest we get one. Uh, everybody gets one. Um, as of uh, Monday this past week, uh, the national, I think, rate was, I think, 28% of the country had received at least one dose of the vaccine as of uh, this past Monday, which was uh, March 29th. So um, I, I, that number is probably higher now as we sit several days later, but we're about 30% of the country has received at least one dose which is a lot in terms of numbers, but, um, yeah, so, uh, that, that's good there. I, I think you need to, uh, get your vaccine. We can all get everything back a little more normal to where we need it to be, but we'll zip back over to the NCAA and college basketball. And there's a couple of big coaching hires and a couple of big coaching or a big coaching retirement. The hires, the biggest ones so far, was the University of Texas. Of course, Shaka Smart just left for, to go be the head coach at Marquette University. And I told you last week, I thought Shaka Smart was going to get fired anyways from Texas after that first-round disaster against Abilene Christian, going 0-3 in tournament in his six years at Texas. So Texas had a big target in mind, of course. It's a premier basketball program. So they decided to give uh, Chris Beard a call. Chris Beard's the head coach at Texas Tech. 
He's been very successful as of late. So after a phone call with Chris Beard, they decided both sides agreed that that was the right direction that they both wanted to head. Chris Beard had a $4 million buyout, which was paid by Texas. And then Beard went ahead and signed a seven-year, $35 million contract to be the new head coach of the Texas basketball team, which is phenomenal. Uh, Chris Beard is actually a graduate of the University of Texas, and he was a graduate assistant on Tommy Pender's coaching staff from 1991 to 1995. Now, Chris Beard's record as a head coach is just amazing. He's 208-84, and 84, which is a winning percentage of 712. And if you make that just Division One teams that he's coached, he's 142-60, and 60, which is a winning percentage of 702. And that's just in Division One. So Beard... Took Texas Tech to the Elite Eight in 2018, to the National Championship game in 2019, and then to the round of 32 here this year. So very good success as of late with Texas Tech, and you got to think that that's going to transfer over to Texas. They both are in the Big 12. Texas usually gets bigger uh, recruits than Texas Tech. Uh, You have more money to spend on Uh, training facilities and equipment and such. So you have to think that Beard's success is going to translate over to the University of Texas. And boy, I sure hope so. Get that uh, my Longhorns team back in the right direction. But the other coaching hire comes through the Big Ten. That's uh, Indiana University, the Hoosiers. They have hired New York Knicks assistant coach Mike Woodson to be their next head coach. It's a six-year contract for Woodson, who actually graduated from uh, Indiana University. Now, I wouldn't say this is as prolific as a hire as Chris Beard is at Texas, and Indiana certainly isn't the high-profile team they were back when uh, Woodson was attending school there, but they are still a historical program, and uh, I think Woodson's uh, NBA expertise will certainly help him uh, coach the kids uh, in college. So we'll see how that works out. Indiana's, of course, in the Big Ten, which is a very rugged conference. So you need need a good coach to help get you to the top. But to the coaching retirement now, uh, the University of North Carolina, they will need a new head coach because they are uh, losing Hall of Fame head coach Roy Williams to retirement. Coach Williams announced this week he's retiring after his 33 seasons of coaching the 18, the last 18 of which he spent at the University of North Carolina. His prior 15 to that, he was at the University of Kansas. Um, Roy Williams, just tremendous success at North Carolina. He went 485 and 163. He won three national titles in 2005, 2009, and 2017. And he's the only coach in NCAA history with at least... 400 wins at at, uh, two different schools. And Coach Williams ranks third all-time in wins among Division I coaches with 903. And he was actually inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame back in 2007. So tremendous coach, tremendous success. Uh, He is leaving some big shoes to be filled by the next head coach at North Carolina. Uh, UNC is pretty much one of those programs that can go out and get whoever they want to come coach. So it'll be interesting to see who uh, 
decides to step in Roy Williams' shoes um, with that program, but uh, definitely losing a legend uh, there at North Carolina. We'll wrap up around the island here with some PGA Tour news. Brief brief news here. Uh, EA Sports, video game company, they announced they're actually going to be coming out with a, a golf video game. It's going to be called EA Sports PGA Tour, and it's going to be a next-gen game and feature all the top tournaments and courses. Now that you recall, EA Sports used to make uh, Tiger Woods PGA Tour, and then for I think for a year or two it was Rory McIlroy PGA Tour. Well, uh, this year, uh, this video game, this new one is going to be just uh, EA Sports PGA Tour. So that'll be next-gen. They haven't given a release date or anything on that. Currently, uh, 2K Sports is the only uh, video game company making a golf game right now. They just produced uh, EA, uh, PGA Tour 2K21, which uh, I actually own and play fairly regularly. So, a uh, very good game. Uh, I'm, I'm an EA Sports fan. Uh, they always make good video games, but uh, interesting to see when that comes out, if, if that's going to compete with, with 2K's game. But... That is going to wrap up the 34th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. Got some good basketball coming up this weekend, some Final Four matchups, national title game next week, and uh, Major League Baseball is off and running. So we'll have plenty to talk about next week as well. So until then, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.